Let's confess our faith. A summary of the teachings of the Bible. In the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer two. It's found on page 872 in the back of your songbooks, page 872. Let's confess again. Question and answer one, and then question and answer two. God confesses or calls us to confess with our mouths what we believe in our hearts concerning him and his salvation. And let's do that together. Congregation, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. How many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three, first, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. And that's the message of the gospel we read in Psalm 116. Let's go there in God's word to Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he first loved me. And it's a record of how God has loved us. Page 604, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. 
I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. And may he use it by his spirit in our lives. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, the message of the Bible can be summarized in that one German word, trost. The catechism uses in the first question, written in the original German, what is your only trost in life and in death? Or in English, the word comfort. But not the more modern sense of what makes you comfortable, but what is your only comfort or refuge? A safe place for your whole life, body and soul, outside and inside, but also in life and in death that lasts this whole life and after this life. What's the only safe place? What's the only trust, the only refuge for your life? There's only one. It's for all people. But there's only one. Belonging to Jesus Christ, who rescued you from the guilt of sin, from the power of the sin, and now preserves you and lives in you and brings you to glory. Belonging to Jesus Christ. But now the next question is a second important scriptural question. How do I get there? That's the comfort. That's the refuge. How do I get there? By knowing the gospel. And that's really what question and answer two are all about. What's the gospel? What do you got to know to enjoy this trust, this comfort, named Jesus Christ? And if you ask people today, what is the gospel? If you ask professing Christians today, what is the gospel? I'm afraid we'll hear very disappointing answers that are based on human works. The gospel is, I love Jesus. No, 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 it's not. It's Jesus loves you. The gospel is, I try my best to serve the Lord. No, 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 no. The gospel is what God has done to serve you. The gospel is that if you do good things, God will bless you. No, no, no. It's that God saved you even when you did not deserve to be blessed. What's the gospel? And that's what question and answer two are getting at. What must you know? What is the gospel? This is not merely an academic question of knowledge for theologians. It's basic, practical, body and soul, life and death knowledge for every Christian. What do you need to know? What's the gospel you need to know to be saved? We want to see three things about this. The gospel is a triple knowledge, a knowledge in three parts. Secondly, the gospel is a personal knowledge or a true knowledge, an experiential knowledge. And thirdly, 
The gospel is a transforming knowledge of both mind and heart together. It's a triple knowledge. What must you know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. How great my sin and misery are, first. Second, how I'm delivered from my sins and misery. Third, how I'm to thank God for such deliverance. That is the message of the Bible. If I could summarize, as we did with the book of Romans, what God has saved me from, how he has saved me, and what he has saved me into. Sin salvation service. That's what I need to know. What God has saved me from, how he has saved me through Christ, and what he has saved me into, a life of service. God's work for sinners. That's really the triple knowledge. That's the ultimate life and death, body and soul comfort or protection that we need to know in a personal way. Those three things. You remember how the book of Romans is really structured in that triple knowledge. The first part, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The second part, the middle of Romans, but we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. The last part of Romans, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice of thanksgiving. What God has saved me from, how he has saved me through Christ and what he has saved me to do. It's not just Romans, though, that the catechism is referring to when saying the gospel is this triple knowledge. The whole history of redemption is that way. The first part of the Bible. We sinned against our creator. That sin brought condemnation and death. Second part, God sent his son to save us from our sins. Third part, he poured out his Holy Spirit to live in us so that we might serve him. Beginning, middle, end of the Bible. That's the history of redemption. And this triple knowledge, this gospel knowledge, is found in so many other places of the Bible. And it's found in Psalm 116. If you just follow with me through that threefold structure for a moment, how in the first four verses, it's about a man knowing his sin and misery, the psalmist. He says, the snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Sheol here means hell. He saw that sin is not just a problem in his life. Sin has a stranglehold on me. It's like a python wrapping itself around my body and soul, squeezing the life out of me. He feels the anguish of hell and he cries out to the Lord, oh Lord, save me. That's the first part of the knowledge of salvation. To know that we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To know not just that there's a sin problem, but how great our sin and misery are. How deep it is. I don't just have a sin problem, I am evil. 
And God's wrath, his eternal wrath is upon me. And I need a savior. I need a great savior to deliver me. Ursinus, one of the authors of the catechism, explains this knowledge of sin and misery this way. If you have cancer and you don't first get a diagnosis, you have cancer, you're not going to run to a doctor. You first need to get a diagnosis saying you have cancer. And once you know that, that's how this is part of the good news. Then you run to the doctor for help. We need to know that the cords of death are tangled around our lives. We're on our way to destruction, each one of us. And we need help. We need help. And then in the second part of the psalm, what does this man do, the psalmist? As the pangs of hell tighten themselves, his grip, their grip on his life. He cries out to God for mercy, verse 4, O Lord, deliver my soul. And he discovers this good news. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Look what he says in verses 5 through 8. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. He knows God as his Savior. God has delivered him from his sin and misery and brought rest and peace to his soul and body. And now he knows he'll walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 9. And that's really the second part of the knowledge of the gospel. God comes to me as a sinner. And he saves me through Jesus Christ, his son. He put Jesus in the death grip of sin and condemnation. But Jesus in hell on the cross and also earlier. Put him there in my place to set me free and to deliver my eyes from tears, my soul from death, my feet from stumbling so I could walk in the land of the living. Rescue. But there's more to the knowledge of salvation, the the knowledge of the gospel. He saved me from my sin to bring me into a new life. Of thanksgiving. What shall I render to the Lord? Verses 12 to the end is the thanksgiving part. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I'll lift up the cup of salvation. I'll call on the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. That's the gospel. God saves sinners, says J.I. Packer. Those three words, that's the gospel. And we could refine that a little bit. God saves sinners into his service. God saves sinners into his service. Sin, salvation, service, guilt, grace, gratitude. 
Do you know him? Do you know this? Have you come to God in the way this psalmist does? A sinner gripped with the anguish of hell. I'm afraid some who profess Christ have never felt anything of the anxiety of hell. It's really a very superficial thing. We'll get to that in a moment with the second point, true knowledge. But if you come to God as a wicked sinner, anguished by hell's grip, Sheol's grip on your life, and have you embraced God as your lifesaver, who has come to rescue you through Jesus Christ, and do you cling to him? You're mine. I need you. You've saved me. And do you know the joy of the new life, of being motivated now to serve him? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? That's the triple knowledge. God saved me through Christ to serve him. I think of Moses going to Pharaoh, representing Jesus Let my people go that they may serve me. And that's what God does. Sets his people free from sin so that they may serve him. Good news. Second, the knowledge of the gospel is a true knowledge of sin, salvation, service. A personal knowledge. I must know how great my sin and misery are. How I am delivered. And how I now have been given a new life to serve the Lord with thanksgiving. I, it's personal. John Calvin warns about a a knowledge of faith that just flits around in the brain. The mind isn't really convinced and the heart isn't really convicted. It's not a convinced and not a convicted kind of knowledge. It's not a personal knowledge of the mind that settles deeply into the heart. It's not a deep knowledge. And that's the, that's the dangerous thing of, about Bible knowledge. There's a kind of Bible knowledge that is interested in information only. But I don't apply that information to my own situation. And it stays distant. There is that danger, right? A superficial, shallow knowledge of sin. That first part of the triple knowledge. That doesn't cry out to the Lord in deep distress, Oh Lord, save me from me. And save me from hell. And save me from your wrath. Sometimes we can speak that way. Well, I have a problem in my relationship with God. No, you don't. It's much worse. You're a child of wrath. That's more than a problem in your relationship with God. 
Or we can just have a superficial knowledge of salvation that doesn't personally rest in Jesus as my Savior. As the psalmist says, when I was brought low, he saved me. You've delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Or we can have a superficial knowledge of service where I might be acquainted with a Christian routine of duty, but I'm not gripped by the way the Lord has loved me and brought me to himself to serve him so that I delight in in, in the service of the Lord and that I can say, I love the Lord for what he did for me. And this is the kind of true knowledge we need and we're asking for in the gospel. That I know how God has saved me from my sin through Jesus Christ. That I may serve him. Now, sometimes people will get this the wrong way. They'll say, yeah, this is not a matter of the mind. This is a knowledge of the heart. Don't ever divide mind and heart. Yes, we, we don't want just a knowledge of the mind that's cold and distant and unfeeling. But at the same time, you don't want just a knowledge of the heart that's squishy and full of passion, full of zeal, but really doesn't know anything. It's got to be light and heat together. Light being the knowledge of the truth and heat being passion for the truth, for the Savior. Convinced mind, convicted heart. That's true knowledge of the gospel. And that's what faith requires. A deep knowledge that fills the mind and fills the heart. Now, sometimes we use the word experiential for this true knowledge. Sometimes in our reform circles, we really put that word experiential under a microscope and we examine it and we dissect it and Pretty soon nobody knows what it means anymore. There are so many opinions on the word experiential. And and, and it becomes a measuring stick that you use to judge other people's faith. Well, it's not experiential in the way I think it ought to be experiential. And then we wreck it. Experiential knowledge of the gospel just means a knowledge of the gospel that you apply to your own situation as a sinner coming to Jesus who saved you to serve him. A personally applied knowledge of your sin and depravity. It's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. God be merciful to me, a sinner. A personal experiential knowledge of salvation. I rest in Jesus Christ. He has paid for my sins. I'm assured that all my sins are forgiven. That's experiential knowledge of Jesus. And an experiential knowledge of the service to which he's brought me. 
And he fills me with his spirit and I am impelled, not compelled from the outside, but impelled, pulled, motivated from the inside by the spirit to serve and to give my life to him. So that's also the question for us today. Do you know this gospel in a personal way? Do you know your depravity in a personal way? Can you say, I'm a wicked person, but for the grace of God? I know in my own life, a big part, the story of my conversion is moving from thinking, I'm a good kid, I just have some sin issues. To, I'm a wicked kid, and I need Jesus. We got to get there. If this knowledge is to be true and personal. What about the knowledge of salvation? Is it personal for you? Do you love the cross? Do you live at the cross? Do you love the open tomb? Do you live in the knowledge of his resurrection? Do you live in the finished work of Jesus Christ as your true and only hope? And what about the knowledge of the truth that God saved you to serve him? Is that personal for you? That God has worked in you a delight. That it's not mere duty. I gotta do this. I gotta, and, it be, and it becomes begrudging. Duty's important. But that duty is your delight. I want to serve him. I think of why the psalmist here wants to go to church. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. I want to go to church because the Lord saved me. Is that personal for you? Wanting to live your life for the Lord because of what he's done for you. Again, impersonal gospel knowledge is a huge problem in the Christian community where people are just going through the motions. And the knowledge of the God who saved you from your sin through Christ into the service of the Lord is not deep. Doesn't reach the depth of the mind and the heart. And we need to pray each one of us for a deeper knowledge of the gospel. And I know those are deep wells, the wells of salvation that you're never finished drinking from. You you never arrive at the, the full depth. And that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. There's always more to see about your sin. And if you're finished, the, the, the sin discovery thing in your life, you're complacent, you're backsliding. And there's always more to know the depths of what Christ has done for you on the cross, what he has born. Because the more you know about how wicked you are, the more you 
can see what Christ was willing to do for you. And the more you know, just what a blessed privilege it has been to be put by God into a life of living for him. May that knowledge, true knowledge, get deeper and deeper in our lives the longer we live. That's a wonderful thing to pray for. Because the more true and the deeper it gets in our life, the more we become magnets to those who don't know the Lord. Because if it's just ho-hum to us, why do people want to become Christians? They say, well, it seems like a pretty boring thing if I watch him. Or it doesn't seem to make a difference if I watch her. But the deeper it gets, the more lovely Christ becomes. The more delightful serving him becomes by his grace. The more magnetic we become as Christians. Being used as salt and light to attract others to Jesus Christ. Well, let's see thirdly, it's a transforming knowledge. It's a knowledge that changes your life. Question two asks, how many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? <clears throat> Bible knowledge can be used two ways. And the catechism is saying the Bible's way of knowing the gospel is to know it for the joy of the Lord. For the enjoyment of Jesus Christ. Who took you from sin and brought you into the service of God. But again, doctrinal knowledge, Bible knowledge is both a delightful and a dangerous thing. Knowledge of the gospel is a great blessing, but can also do a lot of damage. And, and Paul says that in 1 Corinthians in one place where he talks about knowledge that puffs up. There are those who use Bible knowledge to impress others with how great they are. And to look down on others for just how dumb they are. Well, you haven't gotten to first base in the Christian life. And they use knowledge to elevate themselves, to look down on others. In other words, they use knowledge without love. And we know that from 1 Corinthians 13. Bible knowledge without love is nothing. It's a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. It's just a bunch, it's just a racket that's obnoxious. Some want to use Bible knowledge just to prove that they're card-carrying members of the Reformed community. It's a matter of pride to them. That's not what the knowledge of the gospel is about. Because Paul also speaks about knowledge, Bible knowledge, that builds up rather than puffs up. The same knowledge, knowledge of the truth of the gospel. God saved me from my sin through Christ to serve him. 
saved me out of my sin through Christ into a life of service. Same knowledge of the gospel, but it's a knowledge used in an entirely different way. It lives in you as a seed that grows and produces good fruit in your life of glorifying God, enjoying salvation, and serving your neighbor, leading others to Christ. And Paul prays for that kind of spiritual knowledge to the Colossian and Philippian churches, for example. He says to the Philippians, as you grow in knowledge, may your love abound more and more. May you know more so you can love more. He says to the Colossians, may you be filled with the knowledge of God's will so you can abound in every good work. And so this true knowledge that's personally experienced, it's experiential, becomes in you by the Spirit, not a source of arrogance and looking down on others, but a source of love and seeking to build others up. Love for God love for neighbor. Because it is, after all, the knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of how God loved us when we were not worthy of his love. And rather than elevating himself, he lowered himself in order to elevate us. And when we know that gospel, that's the kind of transformation that will work in our lives, that we lower ourselves. To lift up the name of Christ... And to do good for those around us. That's what the gospel does. That's what the knowledge, the true knowledge of the gospel does. As the psalmist says in Psalm 116, it transforms you into a servant of Christ. Oh Lord, he says, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bond. May the Lord give us this true knowledge so that we can enjoy this true comfort and we continue to grow in our salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, thank you for giving to us the knowledge of the gospel in the Holy Scriptures. for revealing that knowledge, that gospel to us from beginning to end. Lord, because of our dim minds and sinful hearts, we can get that gospel so wrong. But help us by your word and spirit to get a grip on this true knowledge of God our Savior who rescued us from our sins and brought us into a life of delightful service to God and then help us to proclaim that to others as well Father may our lives show that we belong to Christ I love the Lord for he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy Amen